The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm honored that you're here. This is the Mark Margolis interview. This was an interview that was recorded for the radio back a few years ago with Mark Margolis. I remember being excited when the publicist asked me if I wanted to interview him because Mark Margolis is a great actor, but he's also somewhat unsung. You might remember him from such films as Scarface, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, and the films of Darren Aronofsky. I'm talking about Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, Black Swan, and of course his television work, Quantum Leap, he was in Law and Order, Californication, and Breaking Bad, as well as the prequel show, Better Call Saul. A lot of you all heard the interview that I did recently with Delaney Buffett, the director Delaney Buffett. It was a very successful interview. It got 5,000 downloads within the first 24 hours, and it's also been successful as a video version on YouTube. Delaney is quite an interesting filmmaker. She gave me the opportunity to see a film of hers, a short documentary called Wallace. It's about a mining town, Wallace, Idaho, a place where they had Old West brothels. You know what brothels are. Well, anyways, it's really quite interesting. Just imagine I'm watching this movie, I'm drinking a sparkling water, and the phone rings. It's a number I don't recognize from Idaho. My first thought was, they're on to me. (laughs) Anyways, this film, directed by Delaney Buffett, she produced it along with Heather Branstetter, looked at all angles from this issue of the world's oldest profession, prostitution. The film had a lack of judgment and also a very encompassing humanity. Everybody who was featured on screen was presented with respect, with dignity. I was very impressed. The mark of a good film is when you want to see it again, and I will be watching it again. But it made me think about another one of our controversial industries in the world, and that is drugs. And that made me think of the interview with Mark Margolis. So there we are. Which, by the way, Delaney mentioned Breaking Bad in her interview. So it makes sense. And as it turns out, tomorrow is Mark Margolis's birthday. He'll be 81 years old. So, it's my pleasure to present this interview to you all. It doesn't have the best sound quality. At that time, I was using a microphone that wasn't exactly top of the line, and it was done over the telephone, an old-school telephone. But if you want to support the mission of the Paul Leslie Hour, getting these kind of interviews, I have quite an archive. You can throw us a dollar or two. Just go to thepaulleslie.com. You'll see a button that says support the show. Happy birthday, Mark Margolis, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Don't eat too much or eat too much. You don't have to listen to me. Don't listen to me. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is Mark Margolis. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, my pleasure. Who is Mark Margolis? Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of opinions. According to some people, the world's most miserable person. You could ask my wife, I guess. What does that mean? Who is Mark Margolis at heart? I really, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I have to think about that for a couple of days. No, I'm a creative person. That's about it at heart. I've always been. Maybe that's what it is. With a lot of the high anxiety, a lot of idiosyncrasies, but I'm I'm relatively a creative person. I think too much. Why would you say you think too much? 
Because I, I think that's part of my anxieties. I spend a lot of time dwelling on different things and then get worked up about them. Whereas if I just left them alone and didn't think about them, there would be fewer anxieties over things that aren't really going to come to pass or don't exist. I don't know. Not sure. Where did the passion for acting originate? I was uh, When I was very young, in my very early teens, I got into it. I had been writing a lot. I was always very creative. I came from parents. My mother was a painter and my father, though he had... He worked in aircraft and factories. On the side, he did all kinds of, created all kinds of things, designed furniture and structures and whatever. I grew up in a house that was all renovated by him in very unusual ways for what we were. So I think there were quite a few people in my family that were creative. My brother spent a lifetime as a composer and the head of a music department in Los Angeles. I wanted to become a doctor, but I didn't want to disappoint my mother. <laughs> she preferred that I'd be an actor. What were your memories of moving to New York City? It was an incredible place. It was actually frightening to me because Philadelphia, where I grew up, has an attitude toward New York that it's a terrible place. And I still have relatives who talk about it. But it was the most exciting thing in the world. I had come here once when I was about 16 with some friends to a jazz club in in Greenwich Village. And it was just a, a super exciting place. But I was frightened because I think New Yorkers are way ahead of everybody else. I always thought of them as like hunter-killers. They're like six steps ahead of everybody. And I, I, I kind of felt I was very insecure. I didn't know that I could. It took me a long time to realize that I could compete in this city. You mentioned your brother and also this jazz club. Are you a music fan? I listen to music. My brother is 24-7 into music. I'm not really. I have certain things I'm crazy about, but I wouldn't call myself a music fan. I don't think, is there anybody in the world that doesn't love music? I don't know. I often like quiet, though. I have friends that play music in their apartments all day, and that's not for me. Tell us about the influence that Stella Adler has had in your life and in your acting. Well, she was kind of everything for me. She was larger than life, and I thought, if God is a woman, this is him. Everything I learned took a long time to settle into me, but it all came out of Stella and her idea of what... Stella teaches more than acting. She taught what it was to be an artist in the world and what it meant and what it was about, etc., and how aware you have to be of everything and how you have to investigate everything and how you have to open up yourself to everything. Uh, she had us going to museums all the time, great museums, absorbing great paintings, using some of what we saw for characters that we created. And she was also a great teacher of, of being aware of what's the society that you're do whatever you know whatever piece you're in how was that society at that time if you're doing something from a hundred years ago or it's taking place a hundred years ago how is that different from the world we live in nowadays and how is the behavior in that world it was just a whole incredible thing she was i had gone to some other famous teachers afterwards but none of them ever came up to the level of stella 
I was very fortunate to have experienced Stella, and also Stella at a time when she was teaching all on her own without other teachers, which came later. There are now schools with her name, but that's not Stella. It was just Stella at that time. I also used to assist her somewhat and go home with her and help her do things uh, in exchange for some free classes, so I even saw her when she wasn't teaching. At those times, she was kind of a whole other creature. She, she would have trouble just knowing which direction to go in. She seemed to be alive and vibrant when she was teaching, mostly. You mentioned that she taught you about the role of an artist. What do you think the role of an artist is? I could say a vague thing, which is like to tell the truth of whatever in the world. I mean, uh, artists respond to whatever's coming at them in the world, and they, they give, uh, the best ones give an honest response to it. Uh, if you see a Picasso painting, he could draw an exact copy of what he was seeing, but he didn't really do that. He, he gave you what his emotional response was to whatever he was looking at. They said that when he was eight years old, he could do a perfect figurative, realistic version of anything, but then instead of painting a realistic face or a tree or whatever, he gave you his emotional response to that, what it brought out in him, what, it, what his response was. Would you say that you prefer stage plays over television or film? Only insofar as you get four weeks to prepare for a piece in the theater. I'm crazy about film and TV. TV's a bit, you don't get as much. In film, you get a lot more time to do things, and they, they work much slower. They only, seems in film, they may get a minute done a day, whereas in television, they have to get about eight minutes done a day because they they're on a episodics or on an eight-day shooting schedule. The wonderful thing about theater is you can you can screw up for a week in terms of working on something and, and then realize you're going down the wrong path and change it completely in the second week's rehearsals. In film and TV, you don't get that opportunity. You, you arrive on a set. Most of the time, there's no real rehearsal other than for the technical people to see where you're going to move, what you're going to do. And you're working with someone you haven't worked with before in many cases. And it, you know, a couple of times, a couple of different ways, and that's it. There's no, do you go home at night and think, oh, I should have done this or that, or I could have done this, but it's all too late. Whereas in the theater, you can come home at night when you're still in rehearsal and say, I want to try something different tomorrow, and you have that opportunity. But I love them all. What is it like playing Hector Tio Salamanta? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I kind of enjoy it. I also enjoyed the fact that I had to respond without being able to use words in most of the episodes I was in, except a couple of flashbacks. After I started in it, I kind of de developed a whole way of functioning and a few character ticks that I kept. And I, I was quite comfortable in it, actually. Was it very challenging to play a character who doesn't utter a word? No, people always ask me that. It's not because even in life, we'll forget about acting, a lot of what we do is we respond to things that are coming at us. 
sometimes you need, I mean, words, what are words? Words help us to accomplish whatever we're trying to achieve. Uh, sometimes you don't need to use words because you don't have any questions and there's, you know, you know where this is at so you can go get it without asking somebody. Yeah, you need words when it helps to get done whatever you're trying to accomplish. And in Hector's case, there were reactions the same as with words but I have to do it just by the way I tense up or relax or the way came came out of ticks in my face my eyes whatever but it's still the same kind of a response I mean you can tell somebody to go to hell without saying words I, I always give as an example <laughs> Well, well, you know, it's a perfect example that's used all the time nowadays. You know when somebody says something really stupid and you give them a look? And basically yeah. you're saying, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But you don't say that. You just, sometimes you put your hands on your hips, you turn and give them a look. Like, are you for real? Well, you're communicating yeah. without words. So it's it's right in that vein. You can do things without words. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people in the world, unfortunately, who can't speak or have trouble speaking, and they still manage to communicate. I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, my joke is because I couldn't say anything, it forced me for the first time to listen to what the other actors were saying. But that's a joke. Why do you think the show Breaking Bad has so many fans? Because it's an unusual story. You don't get these stories where there's a good man who makes bad choices and then continues to go down a road where things get worse and worse and worse and darker and darker and darker. It's fascinating. You wonder, what will this guy do? When will he pull back? Will he keep going that way? And there's no other show on the air like it. I mean, Gilligan, I for the Vince, talk, the creator talked about when he first proposed the show to different networks or production companies, they, they looked at him like he was crazy. He's going to do a show about a chemistry teacher who becomes a meth-making and fetamine-making king. By the way, funny thing, I went to, there's a movie out that's pretty good, Ben Affleck's movie Argo. Well, Brian Cranston's got a big part in it as a, a guy from the State Department. And I went and saw the movie, and I loved it. And I was looking at this guy for a half hour, and I couldn't figure out why the hell does he look familiar. And I didn't realize it was Brian Cranston, because I'm so so used to seeing him with a shaved head. Here he had a full head of hair, and he had a suit on. I really never watched Malcolm in the Middle, so my reference for him is the way I know him in Breaking Bad. I kept thinking this looks like a better-looking version of Chris Cooper. About a half hour into the movie, I realized, oh my God, it's Brian Cranston. It was a whole That's other incredible. person. What is Brian Cranston like to work with? He's very smart to begin with. In an early episode, he even said something to me about something I was doing and how I could make it more dramatic, which is usually actors won't say something to somebody, other actor, but in this case, it was very appropriate. It just had to do with the speed at which I was funny because I once had that kind of, of a direction from Brian De Palma when I was working in Scarface about slowing something down to make it darker, more threatening, and more dramatic. And otherwise, Cranston's a very funny guy. He's a joker. He does uh, very funny things. And he's a lovely man to be around. Very smart, though. Extremely smart. How did you find your way on American Horror Story? I think there was some interest in me, and then 
My managers or agents were involved in it. I didn't audition for it. I think they may have sent a reel of my work to the people there, though they had had an interest in me to begin with, I think. And they decided that I was right for the part. They may have requested me without too much of a reel being sent. They knew some of my work. I was also in L.A. at the time where they shoot it because I had been nominated for an Emmy for Breaking Bad, and I was out there. And so it was very... It worked out very well because I was already there, and that's where they they work at Paramount Studios there. Tell us about the character you're going to be playing in American Horror Story. I'm a survivor of a concentration camp that's taking place in 1964, and my life is pretty much devoted to hunting down Nazis who escaped and, and got away and are hiding out in one way or another, basically. He's like Simon Wiesenthal, the famous actual Nazi hunter in that game. Tell all the listeners about stand-up guys. It's a, it's a kind of a dramedy. It's got some very funny stuff. It's about old gangsters. It has, no, it has nothing to do with things like the Sopranos or Mafia stuff. It's a whole other world. It's a pretty simple story about two guys who were really crazy about each other, and one of them gets released from prison after about 28 years. My character was the old gang leader, and I have issues with one of them. I have about three scenes in it, mostly with Chris Walken and one thing with Walken and Pacino. My character wants something done that's kind of the motor that drives the story that covers a period of a couple days, two days, I think. It was a wonderful script. I haven't seen the movie yet. Tell us about working with Al Pacino and Christopher Walken. I worked with Pacino 29 years ago in Scarface, and I hadn't really seen him until the 29 years later when we worked in this. He was very warm with me, and we had a really nice conversation. I had never worked with Walken before. Alan Arkin is also in the film. I have no scenes with him, but I worked with him for two months in Europe in a film about 14 years ago. What about the film Beneath? That's a horror movie. Larry Fassenden, who primarily lives in the world of doing horror films. In fact, I just did a horror radio broadcast for him. He had wanted me to do one of his films on and off for a couple of years, but it never happened. And when I came back from L.A., he had a part for me in this film, Beneath, that was shooting up in Connecticut. It's it's not a large part, but it's a, it's a nice thing. I had a really terrific time. He's a very funny guy to work for. Very witty, very smart, and very unusual. I, I enjoyed it. That comes out, I think, on... It, it, I think that the film may have been made for television for some horror channel. And I think it came out or comes out in November or something or December. I'm not sure. That came out on the Sci-Fi Chiller channel. Yeah, yeah, Chiller. Is it already out? I believe so. I've never seen it. I'll have to access that. I haven't seen it. You've also done acting workshops with young actors. I only did that a couple times in my life. I once went to a state university years ago where they invited me to run a workshop. And I came in and showed them an instant. The first thing I did was show them how to carry three dishes on one arm and two dishes on the other because most of them would be waiting tables, for starters, just to lighten up things. And and a, a couple of years ago, I ran an acting workshop for about a half dozen or eight or nine people because somebody asked me to, and I I did it for a couple of weeks, but that's about the extent of it. I've never gotten into it on a regular basis. 
I kind of enjoyed it, but it also had some shortcomings because I didn't put the thing together. Somebody else did. And I just uh, showed up at a place and they brought the people. And there were some people involved in it who were uh, really like way out in left field. There were a couple of people that were sort of very much super beginners, but with very little talent. So I was just finding my way in it. So I was all over the place. I don't know if they understood what I was trying to get across to them. I don't know that I'd be a great teacher. There are a lot of actors who have become terrific teachers. You have to be very sympathetic, have a tendency to, to want to get something quickly from someone when I'm working with them. And, and the better teachers are willing to take a lot of time to give a person a lot of time to get there. I don't know. I, you know, I joke that when I, if I have a stroke one day like Tio, maybe I'll become an acting teacher, providing I can speak, unlike Tio. You can't teach acting with a bell. Is there anything you've always wanted to do that you haven't? I'd like to play Shylock in The Merchant of Venice (laughs) at Shakespeare. I'd like to do a film in Paris because it's such a wonderful city. I love getting work in Europe, but I've never worked in Paris. I'd like to try some things that they never give me. I'd, I'd love to play a politician. I've only a few times in my life played a business person. I mean, there are a whole lot of people that think I only play mafia characters, which is completely untrue in my whole life. I've maybe played six of them, but that sort of sticks in people's minds. I I run into people on the street. They say, oh, you're always playing mafia guys, but it's not so. I never even was on a show like The Sopranos. I was on Oz for a while. So things that I haven't done, I'd like to do. Is there any director that you've always wanted to work with that you haven't yet? There's a whole lot of them that I'd like to work with, but not one in particular. I mean, I just saw Lincoln. I'd love to be in something that Spielberg directed. I've never worked for him. I'd like to be in something that Quentin Tarantino does. And I just saw Ang Lee's movie, Life of Pi. I'd love to work for him. In fact, he was there, but I didn't. they were having a Q&A. I didn't get in any conversation with him. It seems like you watch a lot of movies. I don't, actually. In fact, my joke is I'm like a heroin dealer. I sell this stuff. I don't use it. The only reason I've been going, I've been, I've been going to a lot of movies lately because I'm a member of the SAG nominating committee for the SAG Awards. It's something you get out of a lottery. They pulled out my name. So I have invitations to about 40 different films that are opening right now or have opened in the last month or next month. And whereas I usually go to like two or three movies a year once and I see movies on TV, on HBO, I felt an obligation to go see some of these movies so that I could cast my ballot genuinely having seen a lot of the films. They've also sent me DVDs of some of the films, which is easier at home. I'm going to go see Hitchcock this week because I'm invited to that. And then I have an invitation to Le Miserable, and then I about 30 other movies that I haven't even gotten to yet, but that's only because I'm a member of the SAG nominating committee. What is the best thing about being Mark Margolis? <laughs> I've had a pretty interesting life. Some very dark periods and some very slim periods where we didn't even know how we were going to pay the rent, and then that went on for a very long time. It wasn't just a couple of months. 
I remember Mitt Romney was talking about how he and his wife had to eat tuna casserole on an ironing board, but I don't think that was for real. But I had a whole, a whole decade where we were in great poverty. But all in all, I've had a, some incredible experiences, even in those dark periods where we were in poverty. There was I was at, like in the wild 60s and early 70s, and I met wonderful people and traveled to wonderful places and had some unusual experiences. I've had a, a, a kind of an interesting existence. I have a great son and three grandsons, a wife who stuck by me. I don't think many women would for a very long time even through the dark period. What would you like to say to all of the listeners out there? That's, 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 that's a really rough question. I, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking to want to say anything. <laughs> I, I wish them all the, the best. I think it's important to be creative in life, no matter what you're doing, even if you're an accountant. You have to find some creative. I think a lot of people, I run into all these people in my age group, which is pretty way up there, who have spent a lifetime as a lawyer or a doctor or a this or a that or a businessman. They get to, you know, where they're, they then retire. They have a good piece of money set aside. They have a nice home and all that. But there's a certain level of, of something unfulfilled in all of them. They then go off and travel to different countries to try to keep busy. I think part of the, the lack of fulfillment is they haven't opened up to the creative side of their lives, even though, I mean, it's wonderful to be a lawyer or a doctor or a businessman or whatever uh, engages you and gives you an opportunity to earn a living and, and have a roof over your head and pay your bills. You need to also have a creative side that you let step out once in a while. Something imaginary, something where you use your imagination and create something. And that way I think you won't wake up at 65 years old wondering what you did with the last 40 years of your life, even though you made a good living. That's the best advice I could give. That's that's my observation because I've run into all kinds of frustrated people who at 63, 4, 5, 6, 7, they're suddenly thinking, oh, uh, I think I'll take an acting class. But then they should have maybe done some of that stuff when they were 47 or 51 or 38 in the middle of doing whatever they do for a living. I know people don't have much time, but... You can even get into creative things at home. You don't have to be out in the world or going to things. Have you done any acting in Atlanta, Georgia? No, I've been in the airport. I had a tiny part in the movie Glory, which was shot in Georgia. I was out on, on Jekyll Island. I arrived in Atlanta, but then they took me out to wherever Jekyll Island is in Georgia, and I worked out there about 22 years ago, 23 years ago, 24 years ago, somewhere way back. I don't think I've done anything else in Georgia, as far as I know, no. Mr. Margolis, thank you so much for this interview. Okay. It's been a real pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.